Exciting news at This Week Health. Starting May 16th, our keynote show is moving to Thursdays. Catch every episode weekly on our This Week Health conference channel. Don't miss conversations with top health system leaders designed to transform healthcare one connection at a time. Subscribe to This Week Health conference and stay updated every Thursday. Today on This Week Health. There are going to be patients that need to see their physician but can't travel the 150 miles. Particularly a lot of these older patients that may have multiple comorbidities, they already struggled to find the right transportation even to get to places locally. Now that may be impossible. Thanks for joining us on this keynote episode, a This Week Health conference show. My name is Bill Russell. I'm a former CIO for a 16 hospital system and creator of This Week Health a set of channels dedicated to keeping health IT staff current and engaged. For five years, we've been making podcasts that amplify great thinking to propel healthcare forward. Special thanks to our keynote show partners, CDW, Rubrik, Sectra, and Trellix for choosing to invest in our mission to develop the next generation of health leaders. Now, on to our show. Today, we are joined by Frank Harvey, CEO of Shorescripts. Frank, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much, Bill. It's a real pleasure to meet you. Well, I'm looking forward to this. We're going to venture out on thin ice here. We're going to do predictions. And predictions is always a fun topic, but 2023 in healthcare should be a transformative year, really. I mean, we're coming out of a lot of different things that have happened in 2022. And you're one of the only people that, have, that has volunteered to come on and talk about predictions. So uh, thank you for your courage and bravery. I appreciate it. Wow. I, hopefully, if I'd known that, maybe I would have said no. Maybe they know something. <laughs> this is a different topic. We'll see. Well, let's start talking about the backdrop, really, before the predictions. What are you hearing from your clientele, from the pharmacists and others in the industry? What's the backdrop that we're going to be making these predictions on? Sure. Our SureScripts Network Alliance is the pharmacies, the practitioners, the physicians, the EHRs, the health systems. So we interact in sort of a great way with all of those. So these are sort of based on what we're hearing from each of those segments, if you will. So the challenges we're hearing on the show, because we've been interviewing a lot of people, we're hearing stuff about burnout. We're hearing staff shortages. We're hearing inflation, just in general, financial challenges for segments of the industry, not all segments, but for many segments in the industry, changing business models with new entrants and those kind of things. So just a lot of things are sort of pent up here. With that as the backdrop, uh, is there a specific challenge that's more acute right now than others as we enter 2023? Yeah. Again, I think the individuals that you've heard that from are really good at seeing the future because it's happening now. I almost call it back to the future, if you will. Yep. Um, let me give you a great example. 70 years ago in your small rural areas, the pharmacist was the primary caregiver. A lot of times you didn't have a physician in the area or you didn't have one in, in, in close proximity. So the pharmacist was playing a big role in primary care. I think as we move into the future, you're going to see more of that come back to being. And the reason is, is pharmacists has proven themselves through the pandemic that they can step in and take this sort of first level of primary care and do it very well. The reason being is it is that burnout that you mentioned. So we saw some of that, and this is just about reimbursement, right? So we saw some of that through the pandemic. The pharmacists stepped in and started to provide some of that because there was some relief and there was some funding for it. Are you saying that's probably going to continue in 23? Uh, we believe it's going to continue and if anything, uh, get faster. A couple of reasons. Again, 
The burnout you mentioned, the latest survey showed that 20% of primary care physicians plan to retire over the next two years. 30% of overall healthcare workers are saying they're cutting back on the number of hours they're spending at their job. Because of that, we really need a healthcare professional that can help step into that gap and provide some of those roles, some of those functions that those individuals have been providing. The pharmacists are willing, ready, and able to step into that gap. And so we believe you'll continue to see an escalation of those roles that pharmacists are playing, not just around vaccinations, but also, you know, things like when Paxlovid comes to being, the ability to prescribe and dispense to start to play a role in more other primary care areas, such as comorbidities dealing with congestive heart failure, diabetic patients helping adjust insulin dosages as patients get new HbA1cs that come in. Yeah, that's really fascinating. Who will that impact more? The pharmacists that are working for the traditional players, the CVS, Walgreens, Walmart, et cetera, or how will that impact like the traditional IDNs and academic medical centers? Well, I think you'll see a lot of ways. First of all, it's the interactions between the medical centers, the health systems, and the pharmacists in the community with transition of care when patients are transitioning from the hospital setting to a community setting and you need that continuum of care to continue on. We have a number of technologies that they utilize in our SureScripts network, direct messaging, for instance. Just in the first half of this year, over 10 and a half million messages have gone back and forth between physicians and pharmacists that in the past may have been a fax, may have been a phone call, but it's really helped streamline that. Another record locator and exchange where the physicians or practitioners are able to utilize our technology and systems to locate additional records they may need for that patient care. First half of the year, over 620 million clinical case records have gone over the network, again, to help inform that practitioners there in the middle of patient care. It's interesting because my father-in-law who passed away when he lived with us, my wife used to take care of just all of his appointments and those kind of things. The number of stories she came back, she would pick a certain pharmacy because, because they spent a lot of time with her. This is a time where we don't have a lot of time if there's a shortage of people to spend with people to really look at things. So we're concerned as patients, is something going to fall through the cracks? And she would pick the pharmacy based on the people that would spend time with her. And a couple of stories, she had cases where they said, hey, you know what? I'm going to contact the doctor. I, there, there might be a better way to go about this based on your father's history and that kind of stuff. Are we seeing a lot more of that? Or is that primarily done through messaging? Or is that still done through phone calls and that kind of stuff? More and more is being done through messages. And as I mentioned earlier, sort of our technologies that they utilize. What we saw during the pandemic is the trust in the pharmacist really escalated. What patients were willing to go and ask their pharmacist versus feeling they needed to ask their physicians. Certain points in the pandemic, the pharmacy was the only place open. Even emergency rooms closed down in some cases and the pharmacist was there. On average, the studies show that particularly those high-risk patients or patients that are being treated for multiple comorbidities, they'll go to their local pharmacy about 35 times a year. They'll, those same patients will visit their primary care physicians four times a year and their specialists nine times a year. So if you look at where the most interaction is and the healthcare professional that has the biggest opportunity and the most opportunities to help, it really is that pharmacist. We, I'm sort of baiting you on predictions here because by the way, if, if people are wondering, I don't know what your predictions are, but I'm just going to go off of some of the, because we do a news show. I'm going to do a, right. some of the news stories that I saw. One is, I think we saw Walgreens actually have to reduce their hours in some markets because they didn't have enough pharmacists. Is that a trend that's going to continue or are we seeing more pharmacists be trained and we're going to fill that gap? 
Yeah, we are going to fill that gap. There are some areas, some states where there perhaps aren't as many pharmacy schools or haven't been as many pharmacists go there in the past. If you look at over the U.S., however, the vast majority of communities, there are enough pharmacists that want to step into this gap to operate at the top of their license, if you will. Now, there there are a couple of things that have to happen along with just the pharmacist willingness. First of all, reimbursement structures have to come into place. So both CMS, the federal government, and the health plans have to recognize and start to reimburse pharmacists for this activity. Pharmacists all want to provide this higher level of care, but again, we've got to have the compensation structures that continue to evolve to be in place to reward pharmacists. for this. What's the case that you would make to a legislature, to somebody in the regulatory world, that this should happen? Is it still around burnout and lowering the cost of care? Well, again, I think it's threefold. You mentioned the legislature. So it's not just the reimbursement piece, but it's also we need to get some of the federal laws changed, both at the state and federal law level, to empower pharmacists to provide some of these activities that they're well-trained to participate in. So that's part of the same effort side-by-side with the reimbursement effort. I think there are two things I would point to in particular why the legislature, I think, would understand and approve this. First of all, because of the coming lack of healthcare professionals. It's not just the burnout today, but imagine when you pull 150,000 additional primary care physicians out of the country. How bad is it going to be at that point? You'll see patients that generally had been seen three or four times a year at their primary care physician may be able to get an appointment once a year. And that gap is going to need to be taken by the pharmacist stepping up into that to be able to do that monitoring in the interim. That's what I think legislatures will understand. This is a a bipartisan effort. This is really on both sides of the aisle. We all recognize the importance of primary care. We are continuing to age as a society. The needs from the healthcare sector are going to continue to grow. We have to have those practitioners available to step into that. Is it a similar or just a slightly tweaked case that you would make to like the CEO of United Healthcare or Aetna or Cigna to say, look, this is why this makes a lot of sense? Yeah, it's the exact same case to be made because the managed care plans that really care about their patients, they want to make sure they're getting the right treatment. If there are no practitioners, if there are no primary care physicians available to be with those, to work with those patients, what you're going to see is what could have been solved easily or maybe a minor problem becomes a larger problem because the patients have to go longer without seeing a physician. They end up going to the emergency room instead of seeing a primary care physician. Again, that's additional expense. So to the health plan, I think you would also emphasize not only the need for the patient care, but also the additional expense because patients don't get handled correctly the first time or enough care on a day-in, day-out basis. One of the interesting stories that I saw recently was one of the major pharmacies is trying to do remote dispensing and essentially dispensing of the pills remotely and the technologies there and whatnot. Now, there's some state laws in place that will limit them doing it in some markets. And this is a national player. But essentially what they're saying, hey, is we're moving forward with this because there's things that don't necessarily require a licensed physician to do, some very basic things. And if we could take that off their plate, they can do more primary care. Do you see that as a potential trend as well? Or are there obstacles there? 
Yeah, and I think that's continued to evolve, but it's absolutely a trend. There are already a number of uh, chain drugstores that you might see, hey, we we are using a central fill pharmacy where they'll send the prescription off to a central fill warehouse where it may have 30 or 40 pharmacists and a lot of techs that can move the prescriptions through in a much more efficient manner. Or the potentially robotic fulfillment where the pharmacists are checking those medications even after they come off the robotic fulfiller and then sent out to the local pharmacies to be dispensed the next day. That's already been happening. And I think you'll continue to see that happen more and more because that frees the time for those pharmacists to then provide those primary care functions that you mentioned. It's 2023 and we are celebrating five years at This Week Health and we are working to give back and are excited to partner with Alex's Lemonade Stand this year. Having a child with cancer is one of the most painful and difficult situations a family can face. At Alex's Lemonade Stand Foundation, they understand the personal side of the diagnosis, the resources needed, and the impact that funded research can have for better treatments and more cures. You can get more information about them at alexslemonade.org. How can you help? For the month of February, we will be holding a download drive. We're doing a bunch of different drives this year. And our hope is to raise $50,000 for Alex's Lemonade Stand. And for February, the download drive, for every download over 20,000, and just so you know, our average is roughly about 20,000 every month for This Week Health over the various channels. So what we're going to do is for every download over 20,000 in the month of February, we're going to donate $1 to Alex's Lemonade Stand. So if we get to 25,000, we'll donate 5,000. If we get to 30,000, we'll donate 10,000 to Alex's Lemonade Stand. A download is counted as anytime someone listens to the episode of This Week Health on either of our channels, on the conference channel or on the newsroom channel. Let your staff know, your peers, whoever you think might benefit from listening to our interviews and this content and support the work of Alex's Lemonade Stand in the search for cures for childhood cancer in the process. You can go to the This Week Health, Alex's Lemonade Stand. All you have to do is go to our homepage. At the top, there's a banner. Click on that banner. You can see our progress. And right now we are at $10,000 already raised in 2023. So we are so thankful for those of you who are participating with us. If you haven't, go ahead out there. Go ahead and give a donation. Leave a little note for us. We'd love to thank you for participating in that. And look, it's really easy. Shoot a note to somebody who you think would benefit from listening to this content. And for every download above 20,000 this month, we are going to give $1 on your behalf. So we want to thank you for all your support and help as we try to give back this year. Well, I'll throw a generic question out to you. Next prediction. Do you have another prediction for us? Yeah, and it goes hand in hand, I think, with the uh, the burnout we're already talking about. I think rural communities will see a number of the health systems will start to shut down just because they can't afford to continue in business. One study shown that there's an estimate that 30% of rural healthcare systems will close within the next year. The impact on that community and on the patients in that community will be a lot of times the pharmacist may be the only healthcare professional left in that community that can provide that care. There'll need to be great communication between those pharmacists and the health systems that real critical patients end up going to that may be 100, 150 miles away. And utilizing our networks, they'll be able to get the information back and forth between those sort of local you know, practitioners, if you will, and the health systems that those patients will eventually 
probably have to visit that maybe hundreds of miles. That's a chilling prediction. I assume telehealth plays a role there. The pharmacist plays a role there. But yeah, I mean, you could see large sections of geography that they are traveling a long distance. What will care look like? I mean, is care, is the pharmacist going to be enough in that case? Great question. I think it's going to take a team of individuals. So the pharmacist won't be able to do it all, but telemedicine is certainly going to play a role because they're going to be patients that need to see their physician but can't travel the 150 miles. And if you think particularly a lot of these older patients that may have multiple comorbidities, they're already struggled to find the right transportation, even to get to places locally. Now, if visiting a physician requires a 100, 150 mile trip, that may be impossible. So telemedicine will play a role. The pharmacist will play a role. Full members of that care team will play roles. Do you think this, where have we said this? So Walmart in the state of Florida has been standing up. Now they used to do the little clinics inside the Walmart. This is different than that. They're essentially taking parking spaces and they're putting in a box that has multiple things in it. It'll have a pharmacy, but it'll also have primary care. It might have dental, might have ophthalmology, might have imaging. Do you think a Walmart with that kind of model might be able to step in those rural areas? Uh, certainly, I think that Walmart can play a role or a number of the retailers can sort of play that role. Even independent pharmacies can help set up those type of areas and areas where you may not have a Walmart or another chain drugstore. So I think those are certainly helpful solutions. And if you look at what a number of the, whether it's Minute Clinic or Village MD or uh, again, I think you've seen a number of retailers step up and want to have a closer working relationship between the primary care physician and the pharmacist in those locations as well. It's interesting. Let me just throw it out there again. I mean, we could probably go down to rural healthcare for a while, but I want to get to some of your other predictions. What other predictions do you have? I think you'll continue to see interoperability advance. It's something that the federal government through the 21st Century Cures Act is pushing forward. It's something that we as SureScripts, again, we're only 20, 21 years old now as a company, fairly young in the evolution of some companies, but we've already done a lot around interoperability and we continue to push forward. The things I mentioned earlier, record locator and exchange, where you know almost a a billion transactions have gone through that specific technology. That helps interoperability. Interoperability is all about getting the right clinical message in the hand of the practitioner at the right time to make the right decisions. And that's been a focus of ours from the very beginning as a health information network, ensuring that information gets back and forth to the right individuals. I know that 21st Century Cures has some requirements on the providers and even the payers now. Is there some aspect that Scripts plays in terms of providing that information to patients, to the community, or is this at a different level? Right. It's at a different level. We're more the sort of the practitioners, even though almost 99% of the U.S. population at some point has had one of their health information records go across our networks because a provider, a pharmacist, or someone has needed those records or that information. So again, we don't provide that information directly to patients. We do it through the HR or through the practitioner, through the pharmacy. We provide that information to them. They share it with their patients as needed. Yeah, 21st Century Cures should be really interesting. Cure scripts is primarily the practitioner's talking with each other. Is there anything you're looking at that's looking at the patient or the consumer directly? We're not looking directly at the consumer. Now, the things that we do help the consumer dramatically, for instance, real-time prescription benefit, it provides to the physician, to the practitioner, so they can see what are the different therapeutic options, what are the price of each of those 
those options based on a, a patient's insurance plan so they can pick the right medication, not just from a therapeutic standpoint, but from a cost standpoint as well. And it's often said the most expensive medication is that medication where the patient never picks up and takes because they never get well. And a lot of times if the prescription that the physician were to pick were too expensive, the patient would never be able to afford it. So utilizing real-time prescription benefit, they're able to make the right choice for that specific patient. And that helps with the uh, transparency rules as well. I mean, to be able to know that information, provide that information, I assume you're baking that into the physician workflow. So they're seeing it at the point when they can do the most good. At the point that they're prescribing, they see that information. They see the therapeutic alternatives. They see the different pricing of each based on that specific patient's health plan, which is so important. For years, that wasn't available. You get to the pharmacy as a patient and find out that the prescription was going to be much more than you could afford. You would have to make a choice between eating that week or taking your medication. Now the physician can pick the right medication based on one, what the patient could afford, as well as therapeutically, what's going to be best for the patient. Prescriptions is one of those areas, scripts specifically, that really has been ahead of the curve with regard to interoperability. It's not, it was one of those areas where, hey, we were, we're sending scripts down the street to all the major pharmacies in our markets a while back, leaders like yourself who brought those technologies to market. Is there any ways, any areas where we're expanding the use of interoperability that that might have an impact on any of the aspects of the quadruple aim? Yeah. Again, the important piece of interoperability is the transfer of that right clinical information at the right time. So if you think of SureScripts and say, well, it's an e-prescribing company, it's really much more than that. All the clinical messages we send, of the 21 billion messages we send are Uh, back and forth over our networks a year, only about 20% of those are e-prescribing. The rest are all the other clinical information, the interoperable information that's needed to go back between practitioners to make the right decisions, make up the vast majority of that, those 21 billion messages. Yeah. So those pipes exist. Any other predictions? Yeah, I would say you're going to continue to see specialty medications play a much larger role. If you look at what's not only in the pipeline from a development standpoint, what's already on the market, and the uniqueness of specialty medications is if you've seen one, you've seen one, because they all have certain uniquenesses to them. One of the most troubling things about specialty medications is in general, they're all come through prior authorization. And secondly, it generally takes somewhere between two to three weeks for a patient to get on a specialty medication which when you're dealing with something, you need to get on medication as soon as possible. That's really troubling. And it's because of the length that the prior authorization process takes and making sure you have all the right information that it is the appropriate medication for patients. And our specialty medication modules help shorten that timeline so you can get medication to patients sooner than you would otherwise through the process. So you're going to continue to see specialty medications play a larger and larger role. I mean, for one, so effective, they're so impactful, treating diseases that may have never had a good resolution in the past, the specialty medications come in uh, and really have a dramatic impact. One of the other things that I'll say that are similar because there are specialty medications is you're going to see the biosimilars continue to to make a larger and larger impact come into the market where there's more choice available around some of those more costly medications. The prior authorizations, we just saw some movement in terms of proposed rule around prior authorizations. Do you think we will see progress? I mean, this has been a problem since I got into healthcare over a decade ago. Do you think we will see progress in that area 
in 2023 in terms of really reducing that amount of time and the overall burden on the clinician around prior authorizations? We, we have to make more of those prior authorizations prospective where electronically that information can be gathered and that prior authorization can happen quicker. That's one of the things we're focused on as a company. I think you will see that make an impact because now by 2026, at least as it's currently written, you'll see that prior authorizations are required to be in place be more transparency around prior authorizations. We hope to be a part of the solution to help that become a reality and move down the pipe even quicker if possible than 2026. If you have yet to hear, we are doing webinars differently. We got your feedback. You wanted us to focus on community generated topics, topics that were relevant to you in your role. We have gone out and gotten the best contributors that we possibly can. They are not product focused. They are only available live and we try to have them at a consistent time the first Thursday of every month with some exceptions and the next <laughs> March happens to be that exception. March 2nd, I'm on vacation. So March 9th is going to be our next webinar, March 9th at one o'clock Eastern time. And we're gonna do a leadership series on the changing nature of work. We're gonna talk about a couple of things. One is the remote distribution of health IT staff and what we have to do from a management standpoint in that regard. We're also gonna talk about the lack of staff specifically in the clinical areas and technicians and whatnot, and what the role health care and technology in particular is going to play with regard to that. Love to have you sign up. Our first two webinars we've done this year have been fantastic. Over 200 people signing up for each one of them, and we expect just as many for this one. This is a great conversation and great panelists. We have Trisha Julian, Baptist Health System out of Kentucky, Will Weeder, Peace Health, and Andy Crowder with Atrium Health are going to join us for this discussion. And I've talked to each of them about this topic and I love their insights and look forward to sharing them with you. If you wanna sign up, hit our website, top right-hand corner. We always have the next webinar listed. Just go ahead and sign up, put your question in there and we'll incorporate it into the discussion. Look forward to seeing you then. One more prediction if you got one. You'll see more cooperation uh, and more teamwork between all the different pieces of the healthcare sector. So whether it's health plans, health system, EHRs, you'll see them working even closer together in the future because I think we're all realizing the role that we have to play in healthcare and how important it is that we do work together across all of these entities in healthcare to help make it better for patients, particularly when we're facing a crisis in primary care and in healthcare providers. It's so important. And I think there's really an acknowledgement among all those players in healthcare, and you'll see closer and closer working relationships between those entities. Yeah, I agree. Agree a thousand percent with that. So you just took over as CEO of SureScripts. Tell us about that, about the transition into that role. Well, the transition has been great because I've got such a great team. And for years, we've focused on three things. Since SureScripts very beginning, it's focused on three things. One, continuing to improve patient safety. Two, to continue to lower the cost of healthcare. And three, to continue to improve the quality of healthcare. And because we're mission-driven as a company, uh, our employees are mission-driven, and uh, our prior CEO, Tom Skelton, just built a great team, brought in great people. So they really helped my transition into the organization. They have sort of a, a similar outlook and a similar desire. It's to help patients and to help do more for the healthcare sector. Our employees understand that our time is now because healthcare needs us to do more. They need us to do more than we've done in the past as a company, and we'll continue to do more in the future. 
Well, that seems to be a good area of focus, safety, cost, and quality. It's uh, squarely in the heart of what every health system is looking to do. For those who don't know, tell us a little bit more about Shortscripts. You shared some of it through this, but more broadly, I just want to ask the question, because Shortscripts is in so many health systems, and Absolutely. it's behind the scenes, so I'm not sure everyone knows exactly what you do. Yeah. So just to simplify it a little bit, it's an electronic network that makes it very simple for trusted, protected, secure health information to travel back and forth. Great example, if you've been into your physician and he writes a prescription, sends it electronically to the local pharmacy, vast majority of cases it went across our network. If you've got a, been to your physician and they need to pull health records from another physician, chances are it came across our network at some point. Or if you've got a physician that checks to see what your insurance verification is to make sure this medication is covered, it's generally gone across our network. So we've tried to build those connections or that interoperability across healthcare, whether it's from the health systems to the pharmacies, to the PBMs, to all members of the care team we've built. And SureScripts Network Alliance are all those players in healthcare working together to improve and focus on our three core things. Again, to continue to improve patient safety, lower costs and improve the quality of care. What can we expect in 2023? You'll see us continue to work on the quality of the prescription and the quality of the clinical information that's going back and forth across the network. You'll continue to see more and more practitioners depend upon our electronic networks to get those clinical records to make sure that they're making the most informed decision at the right time with the patient. We'll continue to, to work with and help practitioners streamline the conversations they're having with patients because it's easy to see what they need to see clinically about the patient and then to have the best interaction they can. Fantastic. Frank, I want to thank you for your time. It's, it's great to meet you. And I love talking to you early on in your tenure. Love to stay in touch and see how things progress. I would welcome the opportunity. It's been a real pleasure to meet with you today, Bill. And let's make this a yearly thing. Yeah. You know what? We'll come back to the predictions and see how you did. Okay, great. Have a great day. All right. Take care. I love the chance to have these conversations. I think if I were a CIO today, I would have every team member listen to a show like this one. I believe it's conference level value every week. If you want to support This Week Health, tell someone about our channels. That would really benefit us. We have a mission of getting our content into as many hands as possible. And if you're listening to it, hopefully you find value. And if you could tell somebody else about it, it helps us to achieve our mission. We have two channels. We have the conference channel, which you're listening to, and This Week Health Newsroom. Check them out today. You can find them wherever you listen to podcasts, Apple, Google, Overcast. You get the picture. We are everywhere. We want to thank our keynote partners, CDW, Rubrik, Sectra, and Trellix, who invest in our mission to develop the next generation of health leaders. Thanks for listening. That's all for now.